For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. The perfect marriage of Ambassador Robert Thorne and his wife Catherine was fulfilled by the birth of their son, Damien. And then, when the child was five years old, something terrible happened. And then, it happened again. Was it an accident? Was it murder? Was it a coincidence? Or was it an omen? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 20th Century Fox presents a film of psychological suspense about an occurrence of earth-shaking importance. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. I was at the hospital, Mr. Thorne, the night your son was born. I saw its mother. I saw its mother. I have fears. I have fears. What kind of fears? Its mother, Mr. Thorne. It's on my wife. Its mother. What is it you're trying to say? His mother was a... This is not a human child. Make no mistake. There are those who will die for him. There are those who will kill for him. Who is he? What does he want? Where did he come from? And can he be stopped? Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen. If this is the truth, where does it end? Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien! It's all for you! I am the eater of wolves and of children! You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another satanic installment of The Greatest October in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 342, The Omen. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Yeah, finally, we're crossing off maybe one of the last audio clips from our intros, I think. Although we've never did American Hustle. That's That's part of our Give Us a Second intro. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the episode, but I did watch some of the 2006 remake, and when she does that part, it's totally not, doesn't nearly have the same effect. Yeah. She kind of, it's, I was like, man, wow, that stinks. Like, I'm so used to hearing the clip now from our show. Right. And when the girl does it in the in the remake, you're just like, ugh. I've never ugh. seen the remake. We'll talk about it later. We're, of course, 
focusing this episode on the 1976 original, one of those classic horror films that you have to get to eventually, uh-huh. although this movie's legacy is kind of strange. I guess we'll sort of go in, get into it as we go, but I'm not sure how this movie's regarded. It is interesting. I don't know if horror fans really love it or not. Obviously, they made several sequels, yeah. a remake, multiple attempts at TV series. You don't feel like it gets talked about in the way like a Halloween or The Exorcist. Or no, like it's that, yeah. definitely not at that level in terms of classic. Yeah, but yeah. it did lead to a renewed interest in Armageddon and the end times, and it popularized 666. It made people associate Damien with satanic things. It convinced people that some of the things in the film were real and actually from the Bible when they were made up. So it did accomplish a lot. It was a bit of a phenomenon. It launched director Richard Donner into a big career. I was telling you, I did not realize he directed this. When I put it on and saw his name pop up in the credits, I was like, oh, Richard Donner. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Before we discuss The Omen, let's remind everyone to follow the show on X slash Twitter, at Greatest Pod. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Please send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. As I said, get your listener requests in now. The amount of slots we have for next year is always shrinking, and even though it's super confusing, evidently, at the end of this year, we're changing it from two per month down to one. So it's even going to go s- smaller. All we really need to worry about now is to get your request in as soon as you think of it, if you want to do one. We'll work out prices and everything with you via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. You can also request a free sticker, and you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. The Omen was released in 1976. It was directed by Richard Donner, written by David Seltzer. If you have not already seen The Omen or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, it is currently streaming on Cinemax, which I'm sure a lot of you don't have, so you can do the streaming rental route. Yeah, I got Cinemax so I could watch this. I actually have an old Blu-ray set of... The Omen 1, 2, and 3, plus the remake. There is a fourth Omen, but it's one of those, and there's actually a lot of horror franchises that have these, where it gets to that fourth one and it almost doesn't count. I think Sleepaway Camp. Ah, yes. Maybe The Howling. I don't know. There's a lot of these franchises that just kind of keep going, and then eventually one of them kind of doesn't count anymore. People forget about it because it was so shitty. Sure. Whatever. But anyway, Best Buy used to have this set almost every Halloween for literally $9.99 for four Blu-rays. It was a crazy deal that was always that available. The budget of The Omen was $2.8 million. The box office came in at $60.9 million, which was a really big hit. And the times were changing a little bit with monster blockbusters like Jaws and Star Wars, which is something we can talk about later, too. So, yes... Some movies were starting to cross into box office halls that more closely resemble the kind of numbers we would get used to later. But I think in 76, for a small budget under $3 million, 60.9 is still 
a pretty big phenomenon so. for the most part. I think so. There was actually a massive marketing campaign, though, that actually by itself doubled the production budget, but oh. still, that's still under $10 million altogether. The Omen was nominated for two Academy Awards, both for Jerry Goldsmith in the categories of Best Music Original Score, which Goldsmith won, and Best Music Original Song for Ave Satini, yeah. which is the only Best Original Song Oscar nominee for a horror film and the only nominee that was written and sung in Latin. Okay. However, it lost that award to Evergreen, the love theme from A Star Is Born. Hell yes. <laughs> With Barbara Streisand. And Chris Christopherson. Ave Satini means Hail Satan, I guess, in Latin. Okay. Which brings us into Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. And those paved the way for a new, renewed interest in biblical horror. I don't know if a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Bible, but there's definitely a lot of horror elements that you can pull from it. And they did, starting in the 60s and 70s. And it was a lucrative idea. Yeah, yeah. Because the country, as we talked about when we did The Exorcist, was much more religious. And Mm -hmm. so these things rang true for a lot of people. Now, granted, they take a lot of liberties in this movie and they extrapolate the Book of Revelation and Armageddon, all that stuff, to kind of craft their own version of it. But to a lot of people, it still felt within the scope of possibility based on what their own personal faith was. And, of course, Hollywood could take advantage of that. Totally. Take advantage of that fear. Oh, yeah. When I was a, a kid and even going into teenage years and, and this type of stuff, the biblical stuff, exorcism type stuff, what are you supposed to do? I, I don't know how, like, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a main character, what is the defense here? Now, granted, I would not be one to be able to physically overcome a person who's trying to kill me, but it's certainly not the devil. <laughs> right. Well, don't you think that it's sort of the best formula totally. for horror films is when yeah. you create a scenario where there isn't an easy out? Because Absolutely. that's sort of the downfall yeah. to a lot of horror. We just did Scream 2 on the show. And we were tongue-in-cheek joking about Sydney insisting on going back to see who Ghostface was in the right. one scene and getting her friend killed. And the audience could potentially be screaming, just run, just go home, leave campus. Why is nobody doing anything that makes sense? And that is the downfall to a lot of horror films, is if the audience can start picking apart what the characters are doing, mm-hmm. it ruins things. Now, definitely... Tonally, The Omen is much more serious than Scream, which is always tongue-in-cheek anyway. But, yeah, this is a scenario where it feels inescapable at a certain point, and then for our lead character, Robert, everything ends up falling on his shoulders where, yes, he could technically abandon his son and just get away from him, but now he feels like he has to do something for the world. There's a conflict there. You combine all of that religious anxiety and fear and all of those different satanic and demonic elements of Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, and then mix that in with something that even predates those films, The Bad Seed from 1956, which basically kicks off a genre that does still exist today, which is that kid from hell thing. And the, The Bad Seed was a little girl rather than boy, but they did that with Macaulay Culkin, The Good Son. There's all these weird movies where there's like an evil kid. Mm-hmm. You can kind of take that even into child's play with a doll. and Problem stuff like that. child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> 
anything with any kid ever. Right. Jerry Maguire. According to producer Harvey Bernard, the idea of a motion picture about the Antichrist came after a discussion about the Bible with Bob Munger, a friend of Bernard's. When Munger told him about the idea in 1973, the producer immediately contacted screenwriter David Seltzer and hired him to write a screenplay. It took a year for Seltzer to write the script. The movie was considered by Warner Brothers Pictures, but the project did not move forward until optioned by Alan Ladd Jr. of 20th Century Fox. Seltzer and Donner differed over the film's message. Donner favored an ambiguous reading of the script under which it would be left for the audience to decide whether Damien was the Antichrist or whether the series of violent deaths in the film were all just a string of unfortunate accidents. I like where his head's at on that. I don't know if it fully plays that way. No, it doesn't. Seltzer rejected the ambiguity favored by Donner and pressed for an interpretation of his script that left no doubt for the audience that Damien Thorne was the Antichrist and that all of the deaths in the film were caused by the malevolent power of Satan the interpretation that Bernard chose to go with. I don't really know how you're explaining away the jackal bones. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, okay. I also think that Donna really appreciated the performance of Billy Whitelaw as Mrs. Baylock. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into that more Terrifying. later, but the character was written completely differently, and she changed it herself, essentially. Oh, wow. Did she bring, like, the weirdness to it? Yeah, the evil vibe. Yeah. It wasn't written that way on the page, and... It conflicted with Donner's idea for the film, but Mm -hmm. he liked her performance so much he decided that she needed to stay, even though it didn't quite vibe with what he was going for. So one of the things I found strange about The Omen is going through the research and finding that the initial responses to the film were much more lukewarm and sometimes more downright negative than I would have thought. There's a lot of prominent critics who at the time tore the movie apart. It was a weird time. Again, we'll get into this more as we go, but... I do think there was more changes happening in terms of these bigger mainstream movies, and it didn't quite fit in with the pace of the new blockbusters. And I do think some of the critics found the religious stuff hokey. There's some moments where Gregory Peck is clearly overacting to the point where it's a little goofy. Yeah, it's a little rough. There's some things that are kind of funny, but I definitely think it's a, a decent film. Oh, I do like it, and I like the whole 70s vibe that's going on here. Well, yeah. Do I say that about every 70s movie we cover? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I, it takes place in the 70s, so it's there is a me. 70s yeah. vibe. <laughs> but even in the filmmaking. So would you consider The Omen oh, a true horror classic, or where would you have it? I don't it? feel like it ever has been, but I do like it. I did go see the remake in the theater in 06. As it was leading up to it, I don't recall ever feeling like, oh, man, yeah, they remade The Omen. That's cool. Like It was more like, Oh, this is a remake of something. It just wasn't. Well, I really definitely that much. heard of it. Same here, but I it don't just know wasn't that, that much on the radar. Yeah, it doesn't quite carry the same weight or reputation as The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby, and and not as pop as Halloween or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, because it's definitely not as shocking as right. Texas Chainsaw. Everyone will fixate on the one moment of this movie, and of course, we'll get to it. But aside from that, it's not even particularly bad. Yeah. I think kids could, as long as they wouldn't get scared, could probably see a lot of the movie. There's not a lot of swearing or sex. Some of the violence is pretty intense. I think the hanging and the decapitation, which is what I was referring to, that's really it. I don't really know if the other scenes are even worse than you would see on TV. Well, maybe not. I actually think some of the violent scenes are done pretty cool, though. 
Well, yeah, the set yeah. pieces are always interesting and fun, and obviously we're the template for Final Destination yeah. and some other films that, that focus more out. on elaborate kills. Right. Yeah, I would say it's a it's a level below the true top tier classics. It's not in that upper echelon, but maybe slightly below because it did do a lot of things that uh-huh. we'll get to. And I, I, I think that it, its legacy is really in what it made people believe was part of Christianity, part of totally. religion, yeah. part of the Bible. Well, I had no idea until you told me, and you mentioned it on the episode already, but that the whole Damien thing really yeah, came because from this. I know just from my childhood or mothers or people around, I just remember there was association with the name Damien mm-hmm. even. But that is made up for the movie. And I don't know that everyone even knows that, that it's not really connected to anything. No, totally. At one point, the film was going to be called The Antichrist. The studio did not want that. So then they changed it to The Birthmark, hmm. which is awful totally. and would have been a disaster. And no one would be talking about this movie. Uh, the Omen is a far better title than either of those. Yes, for sure. Duran notes that in the film, it has to be explained to Robert Thorne that the number 666 is the mark of the beast and speculates that audiences in 1976 were not familiar with this aspect of the book of Revelation. But because of the film's popularity, the number 666 has entered popular culture, and most people, even those of a secular bent, are aware of the sinister significance attached to the number. So there's one thing right there. And as part of that, in the pre-release publicity campaign and to point out the significance of the three sixes, in in other words, to educate their audience, the movie was sneak previewed nationwide in the USA on the 6th of June, 1976, while audiences inside the theaters were being scared witless by the film. Theater employees were out front busily putting up specially made posters declaring, today is the sixth day of the sixth month of 1976. Mm-hmm. Hokey though it was, the gimmick worked quite well as many a theater patron literally freaked out upon seeing those posters as they left the previews. Now, it should be pointed out that audiences are much more jaded now. I don't know that people would be freaking out about something so silly. Totally, although I will say 100% was caught up in the fever in 06. Yeah, because they, they released it on 66. Yeah, yeah. And I went and saw it with a group of friends in a packed theater. It was fun to be part of that experience. It wasn't a movie that I watched again until today, (laughs) but you got caught up in the fever of it. You know that they were just waiting to capitalize on that day. Yeah, I'm sure there was meetings leading up to it for at least a year or two. We got to get this out on the right day. Right. That brings me to something we're not going to spend a lot of time on because I don't really care about it and I think it's stupid. But you have to mention it with certain films, and that is The Curse. Mm-hmm. Curses aren't real, and it's stupid, but it's fine for entertainment value. But I do have a particular annoyance about the whole thing now, which is actually unrelated to The Omen. But I just don't have the patience for this kind of stuff anymore. Everyone knows curses aren't real. What this show presupposes is maybe they are. Maybe they're also <laughs> stupid. What about that? The film seemed to fall victim to a sinister curse. Star Gregory Peck and screenwriter David Seltzer took separate planes to the UK, yet both planes were struck by lightning. Yeah, but nothing happened. The planes didn't crash, so so what? Yeah. 
While producer Harvey Bernard was in Rome, lightning just missed him. Well, it didn't hit him, so whatever. <laughs> well, Ro- that's quite a declaration, by the way. Who's validating that it almost Well, a lot it? of this stuff isn't validated. Yeah. Rottweilers hired for the film attacked their trainers. Well, that happens. They seem and like also the, dogs. the main dog, which was also a Rottweiler, the one that's in the house, was actually very nice and very playful and Good. would want to lick everybody all oh, the time. Oh, no. Well, that's offensive to me, so <laughs> I don't want to be licked. A hotel at which... Director Richard Donner was staying, got bombed by the IRA. He was okay. also struck by a car. Well, yeah, but he didn't, nothing happened. Mostly just sounds like Richard Donner is cursed. After Peck canceled another flight to Israel, the plane he would have chartered crashed, killing all on board. That has never been confirmed, by the way, that okay. that's real. That's all just right. something people say. On the day of the shoot, several principal members of the crew survived a head-on crash. The jinx appeared to persist well in the post-production when special effects artist John Richardson was injured and his girlfriend beheaded in an accident on the set of A Bridge Too Far. Well, that seems like that's related to that other movie, first of all. Yeah. It actually had the opposite effect of a curse for Donner. This film was his breakthrough oh. in Springboard, and everything came up roses for him afterwards, well, there so we I go. don't know. Yeah. The reason I don't like it is because there's a show on Shudder okay. called Cursed Films, and... If you're going to make a show called Cursed Films, obviously you have to ha- do an episode on Poltergeist because it's a thing mm-hmm. that everyone knows. In fact, the Poltergeist curse is way more famous than anything with the Omens curse. But Each- isn't Exorcist also? I don't know. I thought there was Doesn't a matter. With that. There's okay. six or seven episodes per season, so I'm sure they did The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. There's only so many movies. Anyway, it infuriates me because... Two of the young girls in the film, the two daughters, are both dead. And to associate their deaths with a made-up fucking phony curse is so stupid and actually insulting, really. First of all, Dominique Dunn was murdered when she was 22 years old by her boyfriend, who also only served a few years in prison, which is insane. But that's a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. To then even as a joke or even in a non-serious entertainment-based way, insinuate that she is dead because of anything other than the actions of this other person is, I don't. I feel like it's irresponsible to even pretend for the sake of a bit that right. that's a thing. It's really offensive. And then, of course, the death of the young girl, I believe her name's Heather O'Rourke, who had the intestinal blockage or, or whatever it was that led to her death when they were making Poltergeist <laughs> yeah, yeah. 3, is just a, a horribly sad tragedy to try to make it that they were using real skeletons and poltergeists rather than artificial ones, and that's why this shit happened. Give me a goddamn break. First of all, they used real skeletons for the first, I don't know, 80 years of making movies because it was cheaper. Okay. What about all those movies? <laughs> were they cursed? I don't know. It just infuriated me. So the whole thing with cursed movies is stupid. I don't want to hear about it. All right. So we're not spending any more time on The Omen's Curse. There you go. The movie opens in Rome, June 6th, 6 a.m. American diplomat Robert Thorne, played by screen legend Gregory Peck, and his wife Kathy, played by one of my personal favorites, Lee Remick, are living in Rome, where she gives birth to a boy who sadly dies. Hospital chaplain Father Spiletto persuades Robert to secretly adopt a baby whose mother just died in childbirth. Yeah, we'll just do the old swaparoo. Big secret, though. Yeah. It's not even an official adoption. It's all... I'm the hush-hush. Yeah, it's a strange request from a man of the cloth 
not to do something nice for a potentially orphaned child, yeah. but to keep it a secret from everyone, including your wife. Do priests usually say shit like there that? There is something that seems sketchy and underhanded about it. Robert does not tell Kathy the child is not their own, and they name him Damien. Damien was originally going to be named Domlin. Oh, boy. Because writer David Seltzer had a friend whose obnoxious child was called Domlin. <laughs> this kid is the son of a devil. His wife convinced him to change the name, which was a great call because oh, Domlin... Yeah. Stinks. Yeah. Uh, come on. Give me a break. After the fact, this movie had a huge influence on the name Damien. And I, d- I knew one kid at school whose name was Damien. You would hear it from time to time, but it definitely was not a popular name anymore. No. Yeah, I don't know how popular it ever was, but certainly not after the fact. At one point, when they were having trouble casting the character, they were considering casting a girl, which I think would have been a mistake because it immediately becomes like the bad seed. I know that's stupid. Not every bad child is Satan and all that stuff, but I think people are going to draw comparisons Maybe the bad seed doesn't translate to people now, but the original is really pretty good, and it's old. It's from the 50s, but I just think you'd be stepping on those toes. You can only have one evil little girl. (laughs) (laughs) They had corn in the market already. Bernard claims Gregory Peck had been the first choice to portray Ambassador Thorne from the beginning. Peck got involved with the project through his agent, who was friends with producer Bernard. After reading the script, Peck reportedly liked the idea that it was more of a psychological thriller rather than a horror film and agreed to star in it. And I would agree with that. I think this movie does fit more into that psychological thriller mode most Mm -hmm. of the time with horrific elements. Obviously, the decapitation and some of the deaths, but... Right. For the most part, it feels more like a psychological thriller. I think so, yeah. There aren't a ton of scenes where you're like, holy shit, I'm afraid of what's about to happen. Totally. That doesn't really come up much. He was at first displeased with the props and effects for making the death scenes, but was relieved to find how restrained and non-exploitative they were in the final film. Despite Bernard's claim, though, there were other actors considered for the role because studios were reluctant to cast Peck as a child killer, which we'll come back to later because obviously that doesn't end up happening. Right. Warner Brothers Pictures thought the role would be ideal for Oliver Reed, which I could definitely see. William Holden had been oh. also approached for the role but turned it down, claiming he did not want to star in a film about the devil. <laughs> My man. But Holden would later portray Thorne's brother, Richard, in the sequel, Damien Omen <laughs> 2. Love it. A firm offer was made to Charlton Heston, in 75, he turned it down, not wanting to spend an entire winter alone in Europe and also concerned that the film might have an exploitative feel if not handled carefully. Wow, I would love to spend a winter alone in Europe. Roy Scheider, Dick Van Dyke, and Charles Bronson were also considered for the role of Robert Thorne. Van Dyke turned down the role because of the violence and gore, although, to his credit, he later said it was stupid to re- turn it down. Gregory Peck had essentially been retired for several years when he quite unexpectedly agreed to make the film, and by doing so, he effectively invalidated the production and other members of the cast and crew soon came on board. He does he, seem old. Well, he was way past his yeah. prime at this point. He's, I think Lee Remick is 41 in the movie, and I think he's almost 20 years older than wow. her. Which is weird when they're talking about having kids and trying to have more kids, and she's pregnant later. I was thinking, yeah, it is an old parents. That's very here. common yeah. now. 
maybe not 60s, but <laughs> for women late yeah. in their 30s and even into their 40s now to have sure. kids. But that wasn't super common in the 70s. Mm-hmm. That was a little weird. I have a feeling they're both playing younger, Remick and Peck. Yeah, I think so. She's they probably be, playing yeah. like five or six years younger, and he's probably supposed to be playing like almost 15 years younger or something like I mean, that. I, I would buy in his 50s. You think yeah. even younger? Yeah. They might be hoping late 40s right. or something. <laughs> I don't know. Let's go to the house of buys here. I'm not buying it, yeah, but no. it was a different time. <laughs> People looked older back then. Maybe they thought, <laughs> this is what 40-year-olds look like. <laughs> I don't know. One of the reasons why Gregory Peck accepted the role of a tortured father conflicted with guilt was because he hadn't been around when his son Jonathan committed suicide in 1975. So they weren't really expecting him to take this part. Yeah, that's grim. In fact, there was a little bit of hesitation and even asking, and then they were surprised at how readily he accepted it. But a lot of times actors do use their roles to work through things. So yeah, I get it. That might have been part of it. According to at least one biography of Peck, he took this role at a huge cut in salary, earning a mere 250000 Wow. but was also guaranteed 10% of the film's box office okay. gross. When it went on to gross more than $60 million in the U.S. alone, oh boy. it became the highest paid performance of Peck's career. How about that? Bet on himself. What can we say about Lee Remick? I have several 8x10s in my apartment of actresses I like. I know, that sounds really embarrassing, but... I think it looks pretty cool yeah, the I way think I've so. done it. It really brings the room together. Among them, Brigitte Bardot, okay. Catherine Deneuve. All the ladies. Sharon Tate, Jane Fonda, Tuesday Weld, Nancy Allen. I have pictures of Sybil Shepard, Pam Greer, et cetera. But yes, among them, Lee Remick. Oh, course, there we go. Yes. One of my favorites. As I said, check out Anatomy of Murder and Wild River. There's actually a specific moment in Wild River, where if you pause it, it's the most beautiful anyone's ever been. <laughs> I forget what the moment is. I'd have to go back and look at my letterbox yeah. review because I wrote it down. <laughs> it's five years later when Robert becomes ambassador to the United Kingdom when shit hits the fan, as they say. And all of these mysterious, unfortunate, and downright disturbing events start happening all around the Thorne family. One of Richard Donner's first requests to screenwriter David Seltzer was to remove all suggestions of the supernatural, such as apparition of cloven-hooved demons, devil entities, or witches' covens. The golden rule was that nothing was allowed in the script that couldn't happen in real life. The idea was that there should be some degree of doubt over the deaths, whether they were accidental or caused by an evil force. This technique of death by rare accident was replied in contemporary horror movies as in The Awakening, and eventually it was the basis of the entire franchise Final Destination. You definitely get that vibe. There's a leisurely pace to this movie, too. I would say nine or ten minutes in, there's just this montage of them taking walks by a lake. You're thinking, (laughs) we're only a few minutes into this. We're already at this point where we want to be this casual but yeah yeah yeah. just a completely different pace from what we're used to now i think donner eventually adapted because he became a master he did the goonies he did Uh the lethal weapons right he has a whole catalog of blockbuster type movies but superman of course definitely this one is definitely working at its own pace eventually damien is portrayed by harvey stevens They dyed his hair black. He's wearing tinted contact lenses, but it doesn't look weird. It looks just real enough where you're like, this kid could be evil. 
Yeah. You don't think, oh, he's dyed his hair and is wearing contact lenses. It looks believable enough. Right. Something I've thought often in my life, this kid looks evil. <laughs> the thing that we need to point out, and I think is important to remember, is that Damien in this movie doesn't kill anybody or do anything evil. That's what's so weird and fucked up. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost as if you can take that mind experiment of if you had a time machine, would you go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby who hadn't done anything yet, but is just a baby. Right. That's basically what this movie is. Totally. And it puts the weird position in, yes, he's not his biological father, but it'll put Robert in the position of killing this boy that he helped raise for Uh five years who hasn't done anything yet. In fact, I think the movie goes so far as to suggest a lot that the baby or the child is completely oblivious to this and is not really that self-aware until closer to the end at all. It is a moral quandary. Granted, the nanny shows up and starts kind of probably yeah. saying things to him, but hey, I think before that, he wouldn't have any idea who he was. I don't think he's supposed to know inherently. Do you get that idea? No, but he does seem to be drawn to bad. Yeah, he's got those instincts, but I don't think he's like aware right. Yet it's yeah. Once that lady shows up and she's like, "Hey, you're the devil." <laughs> Start doing devil shit. The son of the devil, I guess, yeah, is yeah. more accurate. Harvey Stevens as Damien was largely chosen for this role from the way he attacked Richard Donner during auditions. Donner asked all the little boys to come at him as if they were attacking Catherine Thorne during the church wedding scene. Stevens screamed and clawed at Donner's face and kicked him in the groin during oh, his boy. act. Low blow. Donner threw the boy off of him and then ordered the kid's blonde hair dyed black and cast him as Damien. Blonde hair? Who is this kid, Ric Flair? <laughs> yeah, he's Low like, blows. He's giving him the chops and going, <laughs> whoa! Cutting his forehead with a razor blade. <laughs> At Damien's birthday party on the grounds of the Thorns' sprawling estate, a strange and menacing Rottweiler appears, and then shortly thereafter, Damien's nanny publicly hangs herself in front of the horrified guests. Holly! I'll take him, Mum. No, no, I'll take him. Come on. Let's go. Put him on the Let me get him! 
Now, when we were initially doing the Greatest October theme music and picking the clips, the reason why I picked this one from The Omen is that it's funny. Yeah, that she it's just hangs so herself. abrupt yeah. that... <laughs> especially out of context without the rest of the right. movie where you just watch this woman just walk out on the ledge and be like, Damien, it's all for you. And then shattering that glass, just falling right through it. This is like a meme for me. Like every morning I wake up. I know. I wish it was me. <laughs> David Warner again, in the just mix. like scream Two. Although yep. him being in scream Two is kind of stupid. He's only in one scene. Uh-huh. I don't really understand why he's in it. Well, I don't know. He was in Titanic was that same yeah. year, which is strange. He plays Jennings, a photographer who somehow becomes a main character. I don't really know. Does he work for a newspaper or is he freelance? What's going on? Why is he at I'm this getting party? a freelance vibe. Yeah. I, it does seem like he's not the type of photographer you want at like a kid's party. He seems like he's got some edge. I don't know. Yeah, as soon as the woman hangs herself, he's taking a picture of it I in know. front of everyone. The camera work and some of the music stuff really plays up the connection between this dog and Damien. It's heavily insinuated there's some kind of potentially psychic connection, but we never really know exactly. As Ariana Grande would say, they vibe in. Yeah. Would she say that? I think so. Yeah. I think that the Rottweilers in the film are an interpretation of the Hounds of Hell, right? I just kind of well, thought I that would, on my yeah. own, right? I, 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 yeah. I think that's fair. I don't think that's a bridge too far. A Father Brennan from Rome shows up to see Robert somewhat unexpectedly. He tries desperately to warn Robert about Damien, hinting at something sinister, urging Robert to accept Jesus as his savior and take communion before being ejected from Robert's office by security. Take your sinister warnings and go elsewhere. Wait a minute. Are you saying that I have to go to church now? Yeah. What is this going to save me from? If some guy showed up and was like, your child is evil, you need to kill him, I'd be like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I'd just be like, well, do you want to take him? I've been waiting for this. I've been hoping this this thing happen. When Robert Thorne receives Father Brennan in his office, Brennan tries to warn about his son, Damien, claiming that its mother was a jack- but the office door is opened in this moment by Thorne's secretary and an embassy guard, leaving Brennan's words unfinished. And he's a a jackass? Eventually, we're going to figure out that what he was trying to say is that Damien's mother was a jackal. Now, I, I didn't realize until they opened the grave. This is not the first time I've seen this movie, but I'm saying in the context of figuring this out and going through it. I didn't really realize that they meant a literal jackal. Oh, yeah. I've known a few jackals, but not literal ones. (laughs) (laughs) My context of it for the first time ever seeing anything is the remake, and they do something similar to the the grave scene. But how did someone see this birth? Well, this is all stuff you have to figure out on your own, but it's pretty clear that the guy that... Father Spoleto had fallen from grace with God, mm-hmm. which is what they say later. But right. that means, in the terms of the Catholic Church, that means he's now he like pledged himself to Satan. So yeah. he's doing it's this. one or the other. The other people right. who fixed this up are all doing Satan's work too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Rosemary's Baby type crew. Not exactly, because I think that Spoleto is very conflicted about it. Yeah, yeah, true. There's true, a lot of yeah. drama going on with these priests. It seems like right. you know they have a lot of 
problems. A lot of things on their mind, evidently, as yeah. we've found out over the years. So it's not like you just fully commit to Satan and then that's it. It seems like you walk this weird line. I don't really know how to explain this. I, I don't have the right vocabulary to fully get into the whole mindset of what's going on here. But I think the easiest way is that the devil impregnated a jackal mm-hmm. intentionally, and then obviously you're going to have to take some human help to get through the next steps. Yikes. I got to tell you, I don't care where your loyalties are. I feel like my head would explode seeing this happen. That's true, but they might be under some sort of an influence, too, okay. where they're more willing to let it go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this human just came out of this jackal's <laughs> vagina. How can that be? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> In the moment, Father Brennan, of course, is dismissed as crazy or as a potential blackmailer because clearly it's a sore spot for Thorne that he secretly has taken another child and even his wife doesn't know. So he immediately goes to more of a financial like, Shut concern. Up. We don't talk about that. Next, a new nanny named Mrs. Baylock arrives unannounced. Mrs. Baylock was originally written as a warm, effusive Irish nanny. But for her audition, Billy Whitelaw significantly changed the dialogue to create the cold, slightly sinister character that subsequently appeared in the film. Way to come in and win a part. The producers and Richard Donner were debating whether or not to keep the Mrs. Baylock character because while the rest of the movie was subtle enough to keep you guessing if it was really a demonic conspiracy or just a series of coincidences, Mrs. Baylock was so over-the-top evil it was pretty clear she was straight from hell. This killed the ambiguity and suspense for the rest of the movie, but Donner loved Billy Whitelaw so much in this role, he just couldn't bear to see her go. It's hard for me to imagine what this movie would be like if they either didn't have the nanny or if she was as originally written. Then so, I think so I would be really freaked out or weird. lady shows up? Not freaked out, but weirded out by this yeah. movie. Because then I would be like, well, what is this? I think that... It's okay that it's pretty straightforward that you just accept Damien is the Antichrist, the son of Satan, and everything else. Maybe the thing that's weird is like not enough guardedness from the parents with this lady. I mean, yeah, they're very trusting. Noticeable weirdness. The hand that rocks the cradle (laughs) right here. It's almost exactly like that. Who is this person? Let's just come into our lives. They do trust her a little too easily. I kind of thought that. You can kind of write off some of your little nitpicks, though, by just kind of going under, well, satanic influence. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. It's like the force. Yeah. Yeah. Although when she walks into the room alone with Damien for the first time and she says, have no fear, little one, I am here to protect thee. (laughs) It's so weird. (laughs) He's rejoicing. They hear this from the other room. I'd be like, we got to get rid of her. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck was that? Call the agency. Tell them to send someone else. Well, yeah. If either of them would have called the agency, they would have probably realized that she isn't real. Right. Baylock tries to prevent Damien from going to church, and then right on cue, Damien does throw a fit, violently resisting entering the church with Robert and Kathy. It's a huge scene in to front be of everyone. Fair, this is sort of what it was like when my parents would take me to church when I was a kid. Well, I could definitely see a kid throwing a tantrum or a fit, but no, he is, is like, like physically a, yeah, attacking the a mom. fit of rage, yeah. Where she's like getting hurt. I had this question. In the universe of The Omen, mm-hmm. does The Exorcist exist as a film? Oh. Because if it does... They should be taking notes. I'm wondering if 
they're getting suspicious, if they're thinking about that movie in this context in any way, if demonic possession is even on their mind, because it never comes up in the movie. Yeah, I'm not thinking so. But then again... You know what? I don't think they're a movie-going couple. That's true. And I don't think that Damien really does anything else other than f- the physical freak out here. He yeah. doesn't really physically do anything else. Now, they comment on this in the movie, so it's definitely like part of it. This house, way too big. For it, three people. It kind of freaks me out that it's this big. Yeah, well, it's sort of a decadent, old-school yeah. mansion that an ambassador would probably be allowed to live in. They don't own it, obviously. Right. I don't think he owns a house in England. But, yeah, that is freaky, those old houses that are huge where there's not a lot of people in it, so yeah. there's a lot of it's empty weird. space and rooms and I don't weird like noises. And... That's horrifying enough for me. We learned, though, a few things. Damien's never been sick. Nothing, ever. Also, the dog is just in the house now. So we know that you're not the son of the devil. No. Based on recent experiences. Robert wants the dog gone, and everyone seems to just go along with it, but it's one of those things where everyone's not really listening. Mrs. Baylock, Damien, it's like a joke (laughs) when they they say anything. Yeah. Kathy takes Damien to a wildlife park, and it does not go well. No. First, the giraffes seem to be terrified of the boy and run away. Then, while driving through a baboon habitat, the animals go crazy, swarming the car and badly scaring both child and mother. I don't think it's that surprising to learn that this was actually very terrifying for Lee Remick to film. It was not a joke. I think they riled up these baboons to get them to react because they wouldn't react at first, so they had to keep upping what they were doing, and it got a little out of control. She's really in the car. I don't think the child was actually there with the baboons, but I'm not sure, or at least not when they got crazy. It's one of those things where it's so not worth it because this scene isn't scary. It comes off as goofy because it's it's animals. It's something that could have been cut out. So... You're putting an actress in probably the most danger she was in in the entire movie for a scene that doesn't come off that well. It's just not really worth it. Now, if the scene was actually really terrifying and cool, it's still not really worth the danger, but you can get where the mindset is of why they want to do animal stuff. I think incorporating wild animals, especially ones that aren't really trained or easily trained or anything... It never works out great because it never is that cool of a moment unless it's all about animals. If it's a movie about animals or something, then that's one thing. But I'm saying when they randomly do shit like this in horror movies and stuff, the payoff is never worth it. I definitely was in like a drive-thru safari. I don't know where the hell we were. Yeah, I've never been in anything like this. And I I don't know. I was a kid, but I distinctly remember because there was something like this where we're in an area where monkeys were around and they ripped off the car antenna of like a car in front of us. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. The primates can be particularly scary. We know that chimps and gorillas and stuff like that can kill people. I'm sure that a baboon could kill a person too, or at least really fuck them up. I would think. Again, I just want to say Damien is likely still lacking a full self-awareness as to his true identity. That's why I think he is legitimately scared of the animals, too. Because he doesn't know that he's the son of Satan that is invincible or whatever. He's just a little boy, and these animals are going crazy. In the aftermath, Kathy is shaken up and is finally starting to think something is wrong. But obviously she has no idea what, because how could she? Father Brennan keeps lingering around, finally telling Robert to meet him the next day. Yeah. 
Again, He's, something that always happens in movies but never happens in real life. People meeting in, on like a park bench. <laughs> he starts talking about the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> he says that Robert's wife is in danger and she'll die if he doesn't come. So he eventually does. Get on with it. Say what you have to say. When the Jews return to Zion and a comet rips the sky and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. From the eternal sea, he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, till man exists no more. Book of Revelations predicted it all. I'm not here to listen to a sermon. It is by means of a human personality entirely in his possession that Satan will wage his last formidable offense. You said that my Go wife to was... the town of Megiddo in the old city of Jezreel. There see the old man Buganagan. He alone can describe how the child must die. Look here. He will not be saved by the lamb, will be torn by the beast. Will you stop? I'm here because you said my wife is in danger. She is pregnant. You're mistaken. That's nonsense. He will not allow the child to be born. He will kill it while it slumbers in the womb. What in God's name are you talking about? The son, Mr. Thorne. The son of the devil. He will kill the unborn child. Then he will kill your wife. And when he is certain to inherit all that is yours, then, Mr. Thorne, he will kill you. That's enough. And with your wealth and power, he will establish his counterfeit kingdom here on Earth, receiving his power directly from Satan. You're insane. He must die, Mr. Thorne. You asked for five minutes, and you've got five minutes. Go to the city of Megiddo. See Buchenhagen before it's too late. Now, I've heard you. I want you to hear me. I never want to see you again. You'll see me in hell, Mr. Thorne. There we will share out our sentence. Robert meets with Brennan as instructed. The priest tells Robert that Damien is the son of Satan, that Kathy is pregnant once again, and that Damien will kill his unborn sibling, then his mother, and then Robert, unless killed. That ends up not really being accurate. I think you can attribute the deaths to Satan or the power of Satan because, again, the child is physically not doing it, and also I don't think he has magic powers either. I think it's Satan that's doing it. Right. And in one case, Mrs. Baylock. In a series of events, Damien is nowhere near right. the violence. Like, how, how would he even be Right, involved? it's definitely... Yeah. Satan himself. And Damien is not Satan. He's the son of Satan. Right. If that wasn't clear. Well, then the instructions get even weirder. He tells Robert <laughs> to go to the town of Megiddo in the old city of Jezreel and find a man named Bugenhagen who will know what to do. This a lot all of random like a words. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no way he's going to do it. Right. Not now. That sounds nuts. <laughs> Are those even real words you're saying? 
this is all tied in with the book of Revelation, the end of the world. That's what we're talking about here, people, in case you didn't get it. It's not just a random Satan visit. <laughs> this is not swinging through. It does enough tying in of the actual text in the Bible where it convinces people that it's real. The film convinced some people that the name Damien was biblical and that the prophetic passage that is first read during the scene, that poem, is a real quote from the Bible. I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. I don't think there's random poems that rhyme like that. I don't know. I'm certainly not an expert, but it does seem like it would be out of place. Yeah. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Go get a job, Emily Dickinson. Come on. (laughs) Seltzer, the screenwriter, needed money. He was not some big religious guy who thought any of this stuff was real or anything like that at all. The poem and those biblical quotes were made up. Damien meaning anything satanic obviously is not real. It wasn't even the original name they were going to use. Plus a lot of the other details all come from this fictional film and yet have been now taken into what people really yeah, believe. It's, it's part weird. of the mythology. Immediately after parting company with Robert, Father Brennan is caught up in a freak storm with lightning that seems to be targeting him specifically. Huh. It's like, where did that come from? He runs to a church, but a lightning rod atop the building is struck, causing it to fall. We'll say, does seem like he has a minute to get out of the I way know. Here. I wrote the same thing. Impaling Brennan and killing him, all you had to do was move one step and it doesn't hit you. <laughs> He's staring at it, coming at him for so long. Mesmerized, frozen in place. Now, nothing is made of it yet. I don't even think there's dialogue. We're just visually seeing Jennings alone, developing his photos, and we're seeing... A line, I think astute audience members who are at least somewhat conscious could be able to tell that there's a line on it that's matching up with what we just saw Mm -hmm. from Father Brennan. Oh, what is this? It's weird. I like that cut after the kill, though, where it goes right into Damien running around being loud and annoying. (laughs) Kathy (laughs) just with her head in her hands like doesn't know what to do. Yeah, she's got her hands full here. Robert, no more babies. Only oral and anal from now on. Oh, no. Kathy, I... Well, Damien isn't really our biological son. Long pause. Nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) Dialogue taken straight out of the original script. Actually, she tells him that she doesn't want to have any more children and that she wants an abortion, confirming Brennan's claim that she's now pregnant, which that alone, I feel like Robert should react to more. Like, what the fuck? How did that guy know? But Robert opposes the idea. He then learns of Brennan's crazy death from the newspaper... Let's be honest, no actual newspaper is printing that photo, especially not in the 70s, (laughs) of a man impaled. No kidding, this is graphic. Kathy's instincts are continuing to kick in, though. She feels something's wrong deep down in her soul, but since she doesn't know the full truth... Yeah, she gets it early. She can't quite come to that conclusion because she legitimately thinks this is her son. Why wouldn't she? So she can't quite take that last step. How do things take a turn? When Robert is out, Damien, while riding a tricycle, knocks Kathy over a railing Mm. and down to the floor below, injuring her and causing a miscarriage. Well, yeah. She has Vin Diesel, like, action hero strength for a second. Yeah. Where she's got incredible grip and is, like, hanging on. And then doesn't he start peeling her? No, I don't think he touches her. Okay, okay. She just can't hang on. Yeah, yeah. Now- He certainly doesn't help. When we did- The Exorcist, we talked a lot about Ellen Burstyn's injury that basically affected the rest of her life from doing one of the stunts. 
she injured her back or spine or something. They wanted Lee Remick to do this stunt herself, and she was like, no fucking way. Yeah, really. Then they offered her more money, and she still said no. So they did use a stunt person, although they do that cool trick where you see her face as she's falling, and the way they did that was she's not actually falling to the floor. That's just shot at an angle, and they made the wall look like the floor. Oh, wow. So she does that thing where it looks like she's turning, and you see her face, but that's actually just a shot of her backing into a wall. (laughs) Some old school film tricks. Yeah, really. When the fishbowl falls to the ground, there are dead sardines painted orange that were used in the place of actual goldfish since Donner refused to kill the goldfish for the sake of making a movie. Well, that? now that wouldn't even be a question. I yeah. mean, PETA would kill you. Right. I thought it was a pretty cool moment when she's in the hospital recovering from this fall and she says to Robert, don't let him kill me. Well, yeah, she definitely knows from here on yeah. that they've got a problem here. Her mother's instincts and intuitions are kicking in now. She recognizes in some way that this child is evil, that something's wrong. Yep. She can't quite explain it exactly because, like I said, she doesn't have all the facts, so how could she? Mm-hmm. But there's enough now to go on. You have the feeling that if she made it out of this hospital alive, she wasn't going anywhere near that kid ever again. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the house, the dog is just back now. <laughs> <laughs> no one is paying any attention to Robert. He's demanding that dog be gone, and it's just continuously there. <laughs> How annoying. Jennings, the photographer, notices strange shadows in the pictures he took of both the original nanny who committed suicide and Father Brennan that seem to presage their deaths. If I was Jennings, I don't know what would upset me more. I'd stop it, developing these pictures. If Robert didn't believe me at all. Or if what happens happens, which is that he's totally receptive to the idea, meaning that he knows something's wrong too, that would freak me out maybe even more. I would be expecting that pushback at first, and then him being immediately like, yeah, something is weird. I'd I'd be like, is it? Oh, no. (laughs) I wanted to be crazy. Jennings shows Robert the photos alongside the news clippings of the events, which match up the wounds and everything, but... Then they take it a step further and check out Brennan's apartment. It reminded me a lot of John Doe's apartment in Seven. How did he have access to this place? He explains that... Something with the police. The police just thought he was old and crazy and didn't care or something. (laughs) It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. They had to explain it away somehow. He's got Bible pages covering every square inch of wall space, including the windows, too. Yeah. There's... Also, 37 crucifixes attached to the door. Yikes. 37? (laughs) As Jennings puts it, it's clear that Brennan was trying to keep something out. But the weirdest part is the 666 birthmark, which, again, why does Jennings have access to the autopsy photos? That makes less sense than the apartment. The apartment, they could have said, oh, we broke in. I don't know. He's just a man about town. He's got friends. This means that... Brennan has also been touched by evil or the devil, too, because 666 is the mark of the beast, and it will sync up later with what happens with Damien. But in the context of the film, I'm not entirely sure what it means. Does it mean that Brennan was maybe a co-conspirator with Spalletti? Spletto, however you say the other guy? I was getting the sense that there was a connection back to that night. And now yeah. maybe he's regretting it and I trying to so. make it right, but he was in on it too, or I, a part I of it. I do think that, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say exactly what 
the birthmark being on Brennan means. I don't know. Because we don't know that Spoleto ever had it. They never confirmed that, right. do they? I don't think so. I got a feeling Mrs. Baylock had that 666 real big on one of her butt cheeks. <laughs> a tramp stamp. <laughs> In flames. <laughs> she needs it to show when she's riding on the back of her boyfriend Satan's motorcycle. That's right, yeah. And she's leaning over, you know, the, her shirt goes up. <laughs> Maybe just like a hint of crack visible. <laughs> She's a wild one. (laughs) Wearing her nanny outfit. (laughs) Dressed like Mrs. Poppins. Yeah, really. Between the Bible passages and some assorted news clippings, a picture is being painted. We are talking about biblical end times, the book of Revelation, the coming of the Antichrist. Jennings then shows Robert a photograph he took of himself in Brennan's apartment in the reflection of a mirror, one with a black triangular shape impaling Jennings in the picture, similar to the marks on the other photos, meaning this feels a little more urgent for Jennings than you maybe would have thought, and now he wants to stay involved. Yeah, this is why Jennings... Because there's a little bit of a question, like, why are you so invested in this? Yeah, they had to come up with a reason to give Thorne a partner. I've been marked, motherfucker. (laughs) Because if you don't... Like, Jennings isn't needed, but if you don't go that route then it's a lot of scenes of peck by himself yeah so you need to sort of have somebody to bounce and there's off something of. to needing that other person like you were alluding to it's like yeah now there's okay you there's feel less crazy a little more credence to this with kathy still recovering in the hospital jennings accompanies robert to rome to investigate damien's birth they learn that a fire destroyed the hospital including kathy's maternity records and killed much of the staff who was on duty that day. That's a shame. Now, some of the interpretation of the Book of Revelation, they're kind of playing fast and loose with it because they're like, well, the devil's devil's child will rise from the sea, and somehow they make that the world of politics. Right. Kind of like, I don't know, maybe check your work on that one. I'm not (laughs) sure how you got from one to the other. It's sort of a stretch. They find our boy, Father Spoleto, the priest from the beginning, living in a monastery, and he is in rough shape. He was severely burned in that fire and is now mute, blind in one eye, and partially paralyzed. Yikes. (laughs) The first thing, hey, Father, do you think you could slip me that Wi-Fi password (laughs) while we're in here? (laughs) Though barely able to move, Spoleto scratches out an answer, directing Robert and Jennings to an ancient cemetery when Damien's biological mother is brought up. Like a couple of grave robbers, they break into the cemetery under the cover of night. Finding the actual grave takes significant time. I know that I'm becoming a broken record with seeing where I would trim some of these movies down. And this movie is not that long, and it's fine. But this is the one point where I was like, could they have made this half as long to get to the grave? We get it. They they don't find it immediately. Okay. Right. It went on for like five minutes. They're walking around in the dark. I don't know. Seems like an awful night. Maybe they thought that that was a scary scene, them walking around in the dark, but uh, it never felt scary. Yeah, it, it's creepy. It gets better with the dogs oh, yeah. coming, but at that point, the dogs aren't there. and I don't know. I was reminded a, a little bit of Pet Cemetery, especially yeah. when he does the grave now of his own oh, son. Yeah. It is sort of this horrifying thing. Oh, right. Sometimes dead is better. The camera shots let us know that the two of them are being watched, though it takes a while to reveal by what. 
it's just these random angles from far away that feel like they're being watched. Interesting that these dogs were awaiting their moment. Well, it seemed like the devil himself is setting this all up. Yeah. Which is weird because the devil is not a character in the film, but if you take that logical step, he either did this himself or the humans did it, or he sent his minions, which would be people like Blaylock or the Hounds of Hell. But depending on which little factoid you read, sometimes it assumes that Satan did this himself, buried the jackal here, hid the body of the boy, the original child. But I think it's just as easy to believe that Father Spoleto and then whoever was in on this conspiracy Yeah, I mean, I was taking it that there was a little bit of a crew around this town. Yeah, it would have taken more than Spoleto. Yeah. Probably Brennan and then maybe one of the women. Because usually with the childbirth, especially somewhere like Rome, I'm sure there were a lot of women around and involved. One would think. Yeah, what movie was I watching? Is it that movie? Oh, you know what movie I was thinking of a lot? Is that movie with Schwarzenegger, End of Days? Oh, yeah. Because isn't there a whole thing with the birth at the beginning in the hospital? Because I was thinking there was more (laughs) stuff in the hospital in this movie, and there really isn't at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And then I was thinking, oh, that must have been End of Days that I was thinking about. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, kind of not a a great movie. In Damien's mother's grave, Robert and Jennings find a jackal carcass, and in the plot right beside it, they discover a child skeleton with a shattered skull. Robert realizes that the jackal is Damien's mother and the child is his own son, murdered so Damien can take his place. Yeah, it's funny how I say things and then I realize that coming up in my notes, I basically was thinking the same thing you were, that there is sort of a a conspiracy akin to Rosemary's Baby. There's agents of Satan that had to have helped to set this up. I would say, yeah. Did you think the skeleton was a little too big for a newborn? Maybe they just didn't want to go that dark. I did. Yeah, the it skeleton, looked like it the, a child bad. that would be the same size as Damien is now. Right. I guess whenever you're talking about the remains of a baby, it's going to be not that great of a situation. But if it was actually a newborn's skeleton, it would have been obviously fucked up, but it also would have been really small. Yeah, so you would have absolutely. to zoom in on it to see the shattered skull and everything. Right. And then you're getting real dark because then you're zooming in on it. Yeah, totally. I get why they did it, but it didn't make sense because my first thought was, oh, was this child alive for a while and then they killed it? But then I realized that's probably not what they mean. They just didn't want to use a tiny yeah, skeleton. Yeah, all right. I'm not ready to go there. A pack of Rottweilers then drives Robert and Jennings from the cemetery. It's a long escape sequence, though. Yeah, and it seems like Robert actually fucks his arm up on the fence, but then he doesn't really have like a wound later. He's not selling it afterwards. I don't know if you actually watched all of those episodes of the Alan Partridge show, the one where it's more like a sitcom, but there's that part where he impales his foot on a fence like that. And it's really graphic, but it's supposed to be funny and ridiculous. And I was kind of thinking of that because it kind of looked like he impaled his arm at one point, and then it really was like, oh, he cut his arm. Yeah, or it's hard to tell everything that's going on here. Well, that was also very much a '70s thing where they didn't really hand feed the audience every single thing. Totally, it was just things happen, and you kind of had to interpret it yourself. Interpret it, and also like move on from it because yeah. it doesn't end up right impacting anything. Kathy, darling, now listen to me. Very carefully. Do just what I say. I want you to leave London right now. What do you mean, leave London, darling? I don't understand. I've put through a call to the embassy. Tom Portman will meet you at the hospital and bring you here to Rome. 
Robert, what's happened? What's wrong? Please, darling, just, just do it. Get ready to leave. Oh, Robert, I don't think I can move very well. I... Kathy, do it. Okay. Y yes, all right. I'll, I'll, um, I'll try to be ready by the time he gets here. Robert calls Kathy in the hospital and tells her that she must leave London right away. Arrangements have been made and someone is coming to retrieve her. I think it's really telling. Oh, so she's going to get out of here then. That neither mention Damien at all. Mm -hmm. Not, you need to leave London. Here's what you need to do with our son Damien. And she doesn't ask what we're doing with our son Damien. Yeah. It's just, the we're leaving terrifying London. terrifying kid that we will no longer mention. But before Kathy can even get ready to leave, Mrs. Baylock appears in her room and throws Kathy to her death from a window. Wild upper body strength. Well, she's an agent of Satan. Yeah. Kathy crashes through the roof of a fucking ambulance and barely has a scratch on her when they show her face. <laughs> she would be like a bag of tomatoes that you smash <laughs> on the ground. What the fuck? She I looks know. like she has one line of yeah. blood coming Perfect out of her makeup. mouth. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous i know why show her yeah but the rest of it looks cool her flying through the air and crashing through that ambulance oh yeah it's a cool scene a lot of the set pieces are awesome and you can see why donner went on to have a big career as a director and he was able to take on even bigger more high budget projects he obviously had the skill definitely to put these scenes together and that is the one thing that really stands out about the omen the set pieces we haven't even gotten to the big one the one that everyone knows Gregory Peck and Richard Donner had one argument during production. Peck wanted to angrily smash things during the scene where Robert finds out his wife has died. Donner disagreed. He wanted to cut in on Thorne a little bit after the discovery, not in the moment. According to Donner, he and Peck argued about the scene for an entire day before Peck told him, you're wrong, I'm right, but you're the director, and therefore I have to do it your way. After the scene was shot, Peck reviewed the dailies and conceded that Donner had been right about how to film yeah. Thorne's reaction. Well, there you go. I think either actually would have been fine. I'm I don't sure, even know yeah. why it was that big of an argument. I, yeah. The way they do it makes sense, and if he would have freaked out more, that would have made sense that too. That would have been fine. Yeah, I don't know. It, sometimes they get into these things where they don't want to back down, and it kind of seems silly, really. But he's a broken man now. Oh, clearly. sure, yeah. He's resigned to the fact that Damien must die too, although 
when push comes to shove, he clearly doesn't want to have to be the one to do it. We also learn that Megiddo is derived from the word Armageddon, so at least there's something going on. With nowhere else to turn, and now his wife is fucking dead, Richard, along with Jennings, travels to Israel, and they find the man Bugenhagen, the one Brennan told Robert about back in London. This is a strange character that almost seems out of place in this movie. It does come out of left field. His accent is hard to place. He doesn't seem to be from Israel. I'm not sure what his nationality is. And he's sort of this big, larger-than-life type guy who seems more from an Indiana Jones movie or something. I was thinking that. He's some kind of an Antichrist expert or maybe self-proclaimed Antichrist expert. How do you How become does one, one? Beca- Yeah, I know. What school do you go to? I've known a few Antichrist experts. <laughs> I've dated a few folks. Bogenhagen says if Damien is the true Antichrist, he will bear a birthmark in the shape of three sixes. It is a very specific birthmark. This doesn't make any sense, though. Now, I know that the mark of the beast, the 666 thing, is in the Bible. But if Father Brennan had 666 on him, how is he not the devil, then? If you're saying that the son of Satan or the Antichrist... How is he not the Antichrist then? How do you know which 666 is the real one? I don't know. That's a good point. That's the whole thing with having more than one person have it. I don't know that I agree with that in the story. It seems weird. I think there could have been another clue or something. Yeah. Okay, think about the scene at the end of the film where we find the birthmark on Damien. Uh Uh-huh. So you're having parents in the audience. They've never really seen many horror movies, so this movie is probably fucking with them. And then also the personal thing about family and your son and everything. So this is supposed to be a big moment. It doesn't quite have that effect on us, probably, now, all these years later. Neither of us have kids. I was like, what the fuck? Ah! <laughs> Had a heart attack. But I think you can understand that that's supposed to be a moment. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot of I got clues. Right. You get it. That wasn't lost on so me. So isn't it then sort of ruined by the fact that we've already seen it on someone else? Don't you think it would be better if that was the first time we were seeing it? It does seem weird that there's multiple. Because this guy who's supposedly an Antichrist expert says the true Antichrist will bear a birthmark in the shape of three sixes. Well, we already saw somebody who did. Well, that's confused things, sir, because we know multiple people. (laughs) So there's multi-Antichrists, evidently. He also gives Robert seven daggers with which to kill Damien on hallowed ground. Am I supposed to use all seven of these? Dude, I thought the same thing. I I would need way more instructions. (laughs) I was like, why do I need seven? Is there like a laminated printout that I get here of like Or if it's just to be extra safe. Yeah. You need this many because one knife isn't sharp enough. Second place is a new set of steak knives. Third place means you're fired. (laughs) Robert initially refuses to go through with it, but Jennings remains convicted in their task. After all, it was a picture of him that seemed to indicate that he was in danger. I'm not gonna let this my life is in your hands, all right? Almost immediately, though, in the most famous scene in the Mm -hmm. movie, Jennings is decapitated by a sheet of glass in an elaborate set piece, very in line with a Final Destination kill. Looks awesome. I want to know what he said. I have a right to know. Robert, I want to know what he said. Look, I'm not just some bystander. I was the one that found him. I'm the one that's supposed to kill him. These are knives. He wants me to stab him. He wants me to murder a child. 
It's not a child. How can he know that? Maybe he's wrong. It's insane. I won't have anything to do with murdering a little boy. He's not responsible. I won't do it. Well, if you don't do it, I will. truck is backing down from a great distance it's like a construction truck actually i think it it's brake gives out so it moves down a hill and then it's got this shit on it including the glass sheets and one slides off and goes right across jennings neck it's wild yeah they really had a fun time with how it looked and stuff and it's bloodless too which I know. is weird but i get clean it. cut because I think if they, the wound. if they put a bunch of blood in it, yeah. then I think it would have been rated X because they like, uh, they came close. Kill Bill, just blood starts shooting up in the air. Which is ironic, too, because while critics tore into The Exorcist for being gratuitously gory and gross hmm. and nasty, because people hadn't seen sure. some of that shit. Your reaction there, I think you're maybe forgetting. I mean, she's stabbing herself in the pussy it is rough. Yeah, and there's right. blood yeah. and everything. This film, The Omen, was almost universally praised for its discreet use of gore. In fact, although there are many grisly deaths, there is almost no bloodshed. But that didn't stop it from nearly getting an X rating due to this decapitation scene. It was Richard Donner's intention to film and edit the scene where Jennings is decapitated in such a way that the audience having closed their eyes at the beginning of the scene, would open them only to see the head still floating in the air. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it goes into this slow motion thing where the head is literally flipping in the air. <laughs> Warner kept his severed head for years until his divorce when his ex-wife obtained custody of it. Wow. That Lost seems almost that. like a joke of or something. Of all the things I've heard lost in a divorce, yeah, that is the worst. This was the one time where I noted a little overacting from Peck in that yeah. immediate aftermath uh-huh. of talking to Bugenhagen where he's like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little much. It doesn't vibe with the rest of the movie Just for some reason. Making a scene in the middle of the streets here. I was throwing the knives. Sean Penn from Carlito's way yeah. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> the brutal death of Jennings strengthens Robert's resolve and now he knows what he must do. He has accepted the horrifying task of killing a child, one that he helped raise for five years. Finally back at home, Robert first locks the Rottweiler in the basement, neutralizing that threat. He then finds the 666 birthmark on the sleeping Damien's scalp. Just as he's coming to grips with that, Mrs. Baylock attacks him from behind. This fight sequence is actually very long. It goes upstairs, downstairs, etc. Sprawls beyond this location. But originally it was even longer, and it was cut down significantly. I can't imagine what that would have was like. It might have gotten into the point of comedy, which is why they had to cut it down. 
How long can you have a man fighting a woman before just it's <laughs> silly? Robert finishes it by stabbing Balok to death. Armed with the daggers, Robert drives Damien to a nearby cathedral. However, his fast and erratic driving draws the attention of the police, who pursue. Robert drags a struggling and screaming Damien into the building and up onto the altar to kill him, but is shot dead by police before he can do so. Fail. The double funeral of Kathy and Robert is attended by the U.S. President and the First Lady, who have Damien with them. Damien turns and smiles at the camera. Breaking the fourth wall. I was thinking about the deaths of Robert and Kathy and how their friends and family would tr- even try to explain yeah, what I happened. Know. How could anyone come to grips with what just happened? I think, if I'm the president here, I don't think I can adopt this kid. This is not a conversation I can have. Especially not now. It would be yeah. such a scandal, the dark history with his parents and right. what exactly happened. Because I'm assuming that since Mrs. Baylock wasn't arrested, that they just assume Kathy committed suicide in a right. seriously dramatic and insane way. And then what can you say about what Robert was going to do? He's killed by the police yeah. as he's about to murder his son. How do you cover that up? What do you say? What does the press find out? He was stressed. He was under a lot of stress. Yeah, being the ambassador to the fucking UK seems like a real hard job. (laughs) What do you fucking have tea and crumpets every five seconds? Give me a break. Checking out the footy match. Try to be the ambassador to North Korea or something. (laughs) Then that's a real job. Yeah, really. I know that we probably don't have an ambassador to North Korea, but I'm not saying definitively. But it seems like it would be a tough job. The film actually ends with words on the screen, which I believe are actually from the Bible. I assume that they are because I didn't read that they weren't. It says, Here is the wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. Book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 18. Here's what I'll say about it. Unnecessary. I don't need the words at the end here. I think they wanted to really drive home the 666 thing. That became a big part of their advertising. And okay. as I said, a lot of people probably weren't that familiar with it. Well, true. So they wanted to really hit you with, yes, it's in the Bible. This is real. The ending of the film implies that Damien is now in the care of the President of the United States and the First Lady and that his rise to power will continue through this family. However, the sequel, Damien the Omen 2 from 1978, reveals that he is in fact raised by his uncle Richard they went a completely different direction with it. The original ending had all three members of the Thorne family killed at the conclusion. Studio head Alan Ladd Jr. felt that was a mistake. 
After all, the devil is impossible to kill, he reasoned. He subsequently gave Richard Donner the additional funds necessary to shoot a more open ending to the film. So they wanted to keep Damien alive for financial reasons, I would imagine, because they're always thinking about the potential for a sequel. But there was another ending in which Robert kills Damien at the church and Good actually triumphs. However, the MPAA said the scene was too shocking which ironically brought about the ending where Robert gets shot and the oh, Antichrist wow. triumphs. Uh, completely changes the ending. Well, that's the power of seeing a child killed on screen, yeah. which is still something you rarely see. Right. And in 1976 was probably something that you didn't see I at mean, it's all. definitely a, a parallel with the moral question of the movie. We're more okay with, Letting the devil do whatever he needs to yeah. do as long as we don't have to see a child killed. Right. Yeah, I get it. It's just one of those weird, ironic things that happens. No, it's funny. But it ends up being the smart play because they're able to get a whole franchise out of it, at least financially. Totally. We're going to talk about the sequels shortly. They're not really that interesting to me. But whatever. I'm sure they did well enough to keep doing them, so there's that. The 1970s were just this weird melting pot because it feels like the times were constantly changing. You had the new American cinema coming in and, and shaking up what was going on in Hollywood. But later in the decade, you have the emergence of horror. You have the emergence of blockbusters at the box office. And that's all coming into a collision course with an old school mentality of filmmaking, old school films that were much more chased, much more slower paced but also still taking place in a country that was much more religious and rooted in old school religion. So all these things come together with first Rosemary's Baby, then The Exorcist, now The Omen. There was a negative malaise, a bad feeling in America. So there was sort of this, what if the Bible is real? What if we're in the end times? People were kind of receptive to this. It all seems very death culty now, but that's part of all organized religions in a way, which is we're the ones that are the stars of the show, meaning even though mankind has existed for thousands of years, the apocalypse didn't happen. But it's going to happen while I'm alive because I'm the star. Everybody throughout time always acts like that. It's not new. But for whatever reason, the 70s were kind of depressing anyway because you had gas shortages, the Vietnam War, Watergate, etc. So people were kind of open to this, and I think that... At any other point, The Omen maybe isn't as successful, but this is the right time. Yeah. I think if it comes along a couple years later, it's too slow-paced in 70s. Could be. But it, it just was in that window of time where it still worked. America, the devil and God are raging inside me. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, this was all part of the zeitgeist, like end times, talking about it, prophecies. It was very weird, and I don't know. I, I just think... There's definitely much more apathy towards this kind of stuff now. If The Omen had never existed and then they released this movie now, I don't know that it really captures people's imagination. Especially if it's exactly the same and the scares aren't really there. I think people would be like, this is boring or something. I don't know. It's definitely not a millennial Gen Z movie at all. The pace is way different. Oh, yeah. You can't have montages of walking by a lake five minutes into it. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. <laughs> like, what is this? Jim Nipfel in The Omen, the pedigree of a horror classic on Den of Geek, opines, 
of the omen, there is no single source quite as central and clearly influential as The Devil's Platform, a 1974 episode from the first season of Kolchak the Night Stalker with stars Tom Skerritt oh. as Robert Palmer, a young politician whose meteoric rise seemed to come out of nowhere. He seems a shoe-in to become the new state senator from Illinois, but is already gunning for the White House. Palmer is rising quickly in the world of politics, which, of course, was the subtext of the entire Omen franchise, which, yes, more into the sequels. Anyone who threatens his rise or stands in his way, major political donors, speechwriters for the opposing candidate, even the opposing candidate himself, ends up dying mysteriously as a result of a tragic and freakish accident, which was the hook that brought most people to the theaters to see the Omen films in the first place. Palmer, again like Damien, also has a very protective Rottweiler familiar who is impervious to harm. Like David Warner's photographer in the first film, inexplicable photographic anomalies help point Kolchak in the right direction. And finally, in the end, the ambitious satanic candidate is dispatched with a holy instrument, blessed daggers in the final conflict, holy water in the Night Stalker. So there, in a way, Watching The Devil's Platform is a bit like watching all three Omen films from an outsider journalist's perspective, except Kolchak is able to wrap up the whole thing in nearly an hour. <laughs> well, speaking of sequels, The Omen was followed by three of them. Damien, The Omen 2 from 78, and The Omen 3, The Final Conflict, and then finally, The Omen 4, The Awakening in 91, which I've never seen. A remake of the same title was released in 2006, starring Liev Schreiber and Julia Stiles in the roles of Robert and Catherine, and Mia mm-hmm. Farrow playing Mrs. Baylock. How about that casting? A prequel to the first film titled The First Omen is in development. Oh my god! That feels that like a stinks. joke from yeah. 30 Rock. What the fuck is that? The First Omen? <laughs> what, what does that mean? Terrible. Well, didn't do anything if there needed to be another one. <laughs> the Omen of what? They did a couple of television things one in 95 and one in 2016 neither work that pretty much closes the book on the omen matt what did you think about the the remake did did, was it as good was it a shot for shot thing like psycho or was it different it's very close because i remember feeling like people were saying Uh, it's really close it is really close the animal stuff they're at like the zoo they're not in like a drive-through safari yeah, because those became um, less and less yeah. common over the um, years, for good reason. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I will say this on it. Of all the casting that's ever happened, sometimes you just like go into a role knowing who it's going to be, and there would never be any question about it. David Thewlis is Jennings. You just like know that <laughs> he's going to be that role. Yeah, I... I've never seen the remake, but I saw some clips on YouTube, and yeah, the casting for a lot of the parts, yeah, I could tell which character it was without any totally. clue or any. Hint and or I think it's pretty great that Mia Farrow is yeah. in it. She just brings that weirdness, right? You just feel like it exists just to fill the purpose of, hey, we it would be Checking great to a box. It would be great to do an Omen movie on six six six. Well, and also we're yeah. remaking every horror movie during these years. For we're, sure. We have to check it off the list. Exactly. Probably a little money to be made and whatever. Right. I so, don't know if it was a hit or not, but. I remember in the theater liking being a part of the experience, but there was clearly nothing lasting there. Let's move on to segments because it's getting late. Matt is desperate to leave. Yeah, I would like to go to bed. It's not that late, though. I think we've recorded later than oh, this. Oh, we certainly have. 
This might be second latest, yeah. though. <laughs> what are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Do you have any recommendations? Why don't you just tell the people what you've been watching lately? Yeah, Because so, we know that it's something people like, some of our listeners at least. Well, it's something that at one point the show was dedicating a ton of time to. I would hate to even hear what we were saying. Oh, it's probably so stupid now. I know. Because but it's go ahead. One tell everyone what it is first. It's one of those things that's so hard to deconstruct. But finally, after a few years away from it, I recently rewatched all of Twin Peaks The Return with a different experience, certainly, than watching it the first time now it's not like i had never watched the episodes again i definitely watched most of the episodes multiple times but this was the first full-blown rewatch yeah absolutely and i definitely liked it more because i didn't have that same feeling of the scenes being long and almost painstaking to get through it didn't yeah. feel I, I guess i was just more used to the pace which made it easier and made me enjoy it more yeah well, there was also probably the shedded expectations Definitely. of what you thought it would be or what you thought was going to happen or what you wanted to happen, and now you can just sort of process what is happening right. instead. And I found a lot more humor in the Cooper, Dougie Jones stuff that I wasn't. It's hard much. not to be disappointed that you don't get more Cooper in the material, but at the same time, I, I, I understand that Lynch is only going to do it the way that he wants totally. to do it. Yeah. And I think if... If that's the amount of Cooper he wanted to do, that means that if there was more, he probably wouldn't want to do it. Right. He just had a certain way he wanted to do it and everything. And Yeah. I really loved The Return. It's probably the last time I was that excited for a show every week. Totally. I'm not going to say it was the last time I was excited at all. I definitely still was watching Game of Thrones up through the end and things like that. But at that level every week of anticipation and... Part of it probably was Lynch fucking with us. We were anticipating seeing Audrey, and it took forever. Right. We were anticipating Kyle MacLachlan being Agent Cooper that we know and love, and that took forever. Things like that. So that's probably all part of it, yeah. messing with us, what we want, our expectations. And the very last episode, which is great, but that almost feels like it's part of it, but it also feels like its own standalone movie david lynch movie yeah, yeah i like, do love that last yeah. episode i actually love both of the last episodes yeah me too but there is some stuff in that second to the last one that's a little too goofy but yeah. there's also a lot of great stuff in it too and the last episode is a masterpiece i love it right agreed i was shaken and stunned by it same here i remember texting you or telling you about it because you were on vacation or something yeah. and when you came back, I thought, <laughs> I guess maybe I just assumed you were an idiot or something, but <laughs> I, was, <laughs> well, I thought you would like the second to last one because that was sort of Peaks closure. One? And yeah. there's awesome stuff in it. That's yeah. the one where they go back into Firewalk with right, me. Right, yeah. It's definitely this weird fan service thing, but also completely nuts and crazy and not what you would expect at all. But I wasn't sure how you would feel about that last one because it is – a lot of driving without talking, but I was happy that you yeah. liked it as much as me because I loved that last one immediately. I was like, holy shit, this was everything I could have well, wanted. Well, definitely watching it all in order again, that episode clearly stands apart from 
everything else in it. Yeah, because at that point, we're going down theories yeah. and rabbit holes, but it seems like at that point, he's fucked with the timeline, so yeah. they're in some other world Right, now, exactly. Kind of. And they almost seem like they're lost in time. Yeah, and are never going to get out. Yeah, well, that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, totally. Which, the weird thing is, I was just emailing with one of our listeners about Lynch and speculating as to whether or not there would ever be more, because it seemed like he was kind of doing something before the strike started, and then, I don't know, who knows? There's a lot of rumors. Yeah. I don't care if it's Twin Peaks related or not, I would just like to have anything else Lynch- Related And at this point, as much as I love Twin Peaks so much, I- I'm fine with leaving it where it is. I think there's... I'm fine with that, too, but it, I yeah. trust Lynch enough where if there's more, then I would think it's great, too. Me, too. I, I trust him. Same here. Too many people have died. That Exactly. Yeah. It's, like, really sad. I don't think it. there will be more. Yeah. The closest I think it would be is some sort of uh, shared universe yeah. type spinoff thing or something where it isn't really Twin Peaks, but maybe like, there's a little hint of it right. or t- some kind of a connection or something because yeah i think he would not want to revisit with so many people from the original now gone yeah. and all of that so i kind of think that would be too much of a bummer maybe same all right all right all right you go ahead you go ahead you keep it secret but you remember this when you control the mail you control information okay so we have an email to read from michael <laughs> This email is great. I may have to not read at least one sentence. Oh, no. (laughs) It's a little crazy. It's not that bad. I don't want anyone to think it's something horrible, but. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, greetings. By the way, we got this email at the beginning of September. The only reason I'm pointing that out is because of what he's about to say, which is crazy. Hey, guys, greetings from Alaska. Just got the first snowfall in the mountains last night. Quite the beautiful morning here. Anyway, I hope all is well with you. I've been enjoying the show as always and wanted to write in with a few movie stories. All right. I can't remember the first time I came across Sling Blade, my listener request, but it quickly became a personal favorite. Every actor's performance is so good, and there's just a certain charm to it, as well as being very dark, of course. My friend Dave, who wrote to you, and I quote two movies to each other, this one and Goodfellas. Almost every quote we say from Sling Blade is a Doyle line with the occasional Carl line or grunt thrown in. Yoakum as Doyle is probably tied with Willem Dafoe as Bobby Peru in Wild at Heart mm. as my all-time favorite movie character. Wow. Call me sick, I guess. That's <laughs> Bobby Peru is a tough guy to look at, but that at least seems kind of rational. Yeah. Picking Doyle from Sling Blade <laughs> as a favorite movie character. He's crazy. He is entertaining. He is very entertaining, but as a favorite movie character. (laughs) Now I have a couple of vivid childhood memories of going to the movie's experiences. Both involve drive-in theaters, not the same one, two different ones in Des Moines, Iowa. Oh. The first was in 1980 when my uncle took my cousin and me to see Airplane at the Southeast 14th Drive-In. Really, I guess, important we specify which (laughs) drive-in. There's a scene where a guy offers an elderly woman whiskey from a flask and she scoldingly turns him down to then turn and snort lines of cocaine. People started honking their horns and we thought that was so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've been debating about sharing this one, but what the hell? (laughs) It might be best not to read this one on the podcast. I'm reading it and I told him I was. 
I'm just going to cut out one sentence, at least. (laughs) (laughs) This might be my most infamous story among my friends I grew up with. 1985, Pioneer Drive-In, I was 15, double feature, Teen Wolf and Night of the Comet. I would say that qualifies for Greatest October. Teen Wolf, not it, I don't really think of that as a horror movie, but Night of the Comet, kind of. Okay. They're both Scream Factory-type releases. Me and two friends go in Doug's early 80s Ford Fiesta. Cars don't come much smaller. Before heading to the movies, we went to this convenience store that would sell us alcohol. Jesus. 15. Driving and drinking. It was a different time. <laughs> this was my first summer of underage drinking. Oh, okay. Well, at least you weren't doing it at 14. My friend would go into the place, 16 years old, in his high school letter jacket, which displayed the year he was going to graduate on the sleeve, which was two years away. (laughs) Obviously, no questions asked there. Everything checked out. So we got a few Sun Country wine cooler two liters and headed to the drive-in. So we were watching Teen Wolf and starting to get a buzz on. Two girls the same age as us came up to the car and asked if we had cigarettes. We didn't but said we had wine coolers hop in if you want. Both girls cram into the passenger seat. Doug is in the driver's seat. My friend Rob is behind him. I'm behind our guests. After a bit of bottle passing and some chit-chat, I thought, what the hell, this brunette girl is cute. Wonder what would happen if I reached around and rubbed her arm. She quickly responded by rubbing my arm and hand. Wonder what would happen if I go up her shirt. Holy shit, she's into it. Do I dare go down her pants? Oh, my gosh. Yes, so that, I'm going to kind of edit this. Yes. So, <laughs> so I'm doing what you think I'm doing. I'm pretty sure her friend was aware of what was happening, but my friends are oblivious. So this goes on <laughs> for several minutes and then ends. After a bit, the girls excuse themselves to go to the bathroom. Doug said, I'm going to get that brunette girl. I said, I don't think you are. <laughs> I then revealed to them what had been happening. Of course, they called bullshit. The next sentence I completely have to cut out. They were stunned. I then met up with her outside the restroom for a brief makeout session. She said they were going to come back to the car, but didn't. We continued to drink and watch Night of the Comet and laugh in disbelief at what had happened. Total dirty, horny, teenage shitbag moment for me. Yet a greatest moment. (laughs) I've listened to you guys long enough to feel comfortable with sharing that one, I guess. Thanks for doing the podcast, and best wishes. I don't know what that says about us. First of all, I don't really think it's it's that bad of a story. No. It's just a little oh, much of an overshare, and some of the language I, I thought would maybe be better if I didn't repeat it. But <laughs> to be young, what's yeah. better than the random hookup? It was a fun time in life. I have to admit to Mike that when I first read that, I don't think I fully processed the whole part of the story. I didn't realize that the girl was in the front seat the whole time and you were just reaching <laughs> the chair. That part somehow escaped me until I was reading I was it just a, now. I was having a hard time picturing all these people crammed into this car and this happening. You're questioning the story. I'm not doubting it. I just can't envision it. Like, I can envision it. It seems, it. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he's probably a little bit big for a back seat yeah. you're kind of just leaning up forward and they're both sitting together on one seat the other people it's all dark remember right right okay, <laughs> okay. i you're, think you can kind of picture yeah yeah it. all right we're getting there so let's thank mike for the email definitely now he did seem 
okay with me sharing that. I know there was a sentence saying no, but I told him I wanted to <laughs> or whatever I said. <laughs> and I don't really think there's anything that bad. No. We don't know anything about those girls. I'm sure they're dead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're buried in that cornfield in Iowa. <laughs> That'd be funny if that was an email Mike yeah. says. <laughs> I think it's that uncommon for a teenager to have that kind of story. No, it's fine. Yeah. If you have any fun stories, they don't need to be that personal if you don't want. But any fun stories like that, please email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. And finally, physical media spotlight. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh no no. She also doesn't care about Blu ray. She's a monster. I'll keep mine real quick. I just got this the Psycho 4K box set from Arrow called the Psycho Collection. Now, this overlaps with Matt's first pick of the month because it also has Psycho in it, oh, like yeah. the Hitchcock set. But it also has the sequels. I've never seen four. Don't really have high hopes, but I'll probably check it out. Three is okay, but I think two is really great, too. It's a really nice set with a big book. I haven't opened it yet. The artwork is kind of cool because it's got a slip cover that's like hard plastic. I don't know if Matt, Matt's not looking. but I'm Sorry, I was trying to get ready to do my... You see what I mean? There is yeah. like a, a hard, because it kind of gives the shower curtain vibe, I guess. Oh, definitely. It's not the best cover art, really. Yeah, that's kind of cool, though. It's got a big book, so it's probably yeah. got some fun information. And I'm a big fan of at least the first two. And like I said, the third one, it's okay. It's not terrible, but it's not really that great. Either. Right, right. All right, so go ahead. Obviously, we talk about Criterion Blu-rays a lot, and... I guess fitting in with the Rosemary's Baby, which is a criterion and maybe the more obvious choice, but movie that I just watched over the past year or two years and own the criterion for is Roman Polanski's Repulsion yeah, with uh, Catherine Deneuve, and I loved it the first time I watched it. Yeah, uh, it's, an, it's an awesome movie. I don't know how much love it gets. I mean, obviously, it's a cr- criterion. I know probably amongst like cinephiles it's well-known, but it's certainly not talked about with <laughs> well, the Well, shockingly... Classic. The foreign language films <laughs> directed by a convicted rapist well, are sure. not <laughs> okay, but Rosemary's Baby still gets no, yeah, but that yeah. was a classic, and that's an American film, sure. But yeah, Repulsion never really became the classic in America, but yeah, of I think course, among people who know, yeah, right, right, but, but yeah. everything Roman Polanski aside, I think it's a really cool movie, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Black Swan, but without the ballet, true, yeah, <laughs> that part of it right and i wouldn't say the character is super dissimilar from her character in belle de jour there's definitely a tiny bit of overlap there because it kind of starts off all like french new wavy and then sort of descends into madness yeah i would say that if you haven't seen it it maybe if you don't want to immediately buy a blu-ray that's a little overpriced then i would just wait for the sale (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say Try to find it on streaming, yeah. but yeah, you could just wait for the <laughs> half-off sale, Barnes & Noble. Yeah. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening. It's getting late for us. We're doing this weird recording thing to try to overcome our issues with availability. So it is late at night. We just recorded Scream 2. Now we're doing this. But we've got a lot more to come for Greatest October. I hope you're enjoying it. It doesn't seem like it's October to me. Now, granted, We're recording this on September 30th, (laughs) but (laughs) anyway, thanks so much for listening. Please send us an email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'll answer any questions you may have about listener requests or anything like that. 
Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. We are on X slash Twitter at Greatest Pod. You can also find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. The month rolls on. We'll be back real soon. damn job I lost it three months ago you wanna know what I've been doing for the last two and a half months for money huh I've been fucking I've been fucking hella bitches cause apparently good dick is hard to find what do you mean what are you saying I'm saying this house you live in the mortgage that's being paid food on the table, all financed by my dick.